If you would again uh, take out your Bible and let's turn to Acts chapter 6. And we will be looking at verses 1 through 7. Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Again, this is God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose among, against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, and we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid, hand, their, laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. The grass withers, the flower falls, the word of our Lord remains forever. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We pray, Father, now for the preaching of your word. Give us ears to hear. We pray that your name is glorified, that we would learn and grow as we understand particularly this office of deacon and the ways in which you call your people to serve the body. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. This is what the Westminster Shorter Catechism question number one tells us. But in order for man to participate fully in his chief end, he will first need his most basic needs met. Food, water, shelter, and then beyond that, security, relationships. For those who are needy, it is difficult, though, for them to see beyond these most basic needs to their greatest need, which is their need for Christ, the Savior, and knowing God. Now, I've observed this many times in working with people. The spiritual savor of Christ is difficult to taste if the belly yearns for a morsel of bread. And so because man is both spiritual and material, physical needs and spiritual needs of people are both important to address. God tells us that they're important to address. We saw this actually even in our Old Testament reading. The needs of the sojourner, the fatherless, the poor, the widow being cared for. God says these things are important. This is seen throughout both the Old and New Testaments. Both speak of the need of God's people to care for the poor among us. 
For those who are in Christ, there should not be any going without. We are to care for for one another, and we are to ensure that the most basic needs are met. In this sense, the church of Jesus Christ is like a family which cares for one another, ensuring that no one is deprived of basic needs such as food and shelter and security. Now, in the ministry of the church, we do have uh, various offices. We have ministers, elders, and deacons. And it is here, in dealing with the physical needs of the church, that the office of deacon most comes into view, particularly in light of the situation which was found in the early church as recorded in Acts. The office of deacon ministers to the mercy needs of the church, especially to the needs of the poor and to the needy, the lonely, the sick, and there to ensure that the resources of the church are being used to appropriately alleviate the suffering and needs as they may be found. Now, The primary focus of diaconal work then is among God's people in the context of the local church. This is their primary focus, but this is not to the exclusion of the needs of Christians in other places, nor does it exclude the needs of the poor in our community among the unbelievers. This is just the priority. And this principle is illustrated in our text today. In Acts chapter 6, the early church had a particular problem. The church was growing exponentially as people were coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ from all over Jerusalem and to some degree even beyond that. Now, you might say, well, that doesn't sound like a problem. I mean, it actually sounds wonderful, and it is. But with that kind of rapid growth do come problems. You have a diversity of people who have come, and they have a diversity of needs, Now, up to this point, the gospel had been primarily going out to the Jews. The gospel going specifically to Gentiles would come later. But even among the Jews, there were some cultural diversity. There were those among the Jews who had been influenced by Greek culture. And so their language reflected that. They were Greek-speaking Jews. But they were also Aramaic-speaking Jews. And so there's this diversity in the early church, even among the Jewish Christians. The gospel had been going out to both of these groups, and both of these groups were coming to faith in Christ. And so again, the church is growing. The church is growing very, very quickly. But with that growth came certain issues, certain problems, certain misunderstandings, certain hurts, even, as we see here, neglect. Some people were being cared for as they ought to be. So even where there is blessing, the blessing of rapid growth, and we might say, of course, not to the same degree, we might say we've enjoyed really rapid growth here too. I mean, they're they're talking in the thousands of the early church, but even here, when you know, we've we've grown quickly. But with that do come problems. So in the early church, they had some real problems in the community. So Acts chapter 6 gives us a glimpse into one of these issues which the church was dealing with, and it tells us what the remedy to that problem was. And so here's the problem. We see this. 
Some of the widows, that is to say, some of the most vulnerable people of the community, the widows, were not being cared for appropriately. Look at verse, starting at verse 1. It says, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Now up to this point in Acts, uh, if you were to read back in the book of Acts, Luke has not mentioned anything about food distribution. This is the first time this really comes up. Now this may be because in Luke's day, this would have been naturally understood by everyone. Widows were regarded as needing community care, particularly if they had no family members. They needed to be cared for. In fact, this is part of the Old Testament teaching on widows. Widows and orphans in the covenant community were to be cared for by the covenant community. The people of God were to care for the orphans and the widows among them. And this is because in those days, they didn't have all of the financial safety nets which exist for us today. The community was the safety net for them. You know, they didn't have pensions and retirement funds. They didn't have 401ks. They didn't have, you know, government-run programs for children. They didn't have, you know, Social Security for older people. They didn't have any of these things. And so single older women were largely in need of care and protection from somebody, and that somebody was God's people. So if they have no family to help them, then someone would need to help them. Someone would need to step up and care for them and provide for their needs. The Church of Jesus Christ is to love our older saints, to care for those who have no other options available to them. And in this case, there was a daily food distribution which was needed to ensure that the widows in the community were fed. Now, this principle of care first by the family and then by the church, we see this in 1 Timothy chapter 5. If you, you know, want to look there, you can, otherwise you can jot this down. But 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 16 says, If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. In other words, let the woman who has widow relatives, let, let her care for the widows. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows, or as some translations put it, widows indeed. Those who truly are needy. Those who are truly without. So first and foremost, the family should take care of them. But if if there is no family, if there's no one else, then the church needs to step in and care for them. And so this is how it was in the early church. The widows of the church were being cared for by the church. They were being fed. They were being provided you know, basic necessities so that they could live. But there was a problem with the ministry. Remember, again, the church had grown rapidly. There were many new people, many new widows that were coming in. And there were some who were being neglected in the daily distribution. In other words, some of the widows who were there weren't being cared for. They were not getting the food that they needed, the the other necessities that they needed. 
And so the Hellenists, that is the Greek-speaking Jews, they were accusing the Aramaic-speaking Jews, the Hebrews, of neglecting their widows. They're saying, look, you're not taking care of our widows. Your widows are being cared for, but our widows aren't being cared for. There's a problem here. These dear ladies, these dear older saints who have no other options, no one else to care for them, were not getting their daily distribution. Now Luke doesn't tell us any details of how this took place or how they were neglected, though we can infer that what this is, is an administrative problem. This is an administrative problem. And what we know is that because of this, a division had begun to form in the church over this issue. And often the case is that administrative problems create division in churches. And so this is happening here. They're being divided over this issue because of this distribution ministry. It wasn't being conducted quite correctly. And so there were some who were beginning to murmur and complain about it. Just the sort of thing which would undermine the ministry of the gospel. Now, one thing to note is that the way this problem is solved does indicate something about what the root of the problem was. There was not any kind of malice. There was not some sort of racism inherent in this. The problem was a lack of administration. Just the sort of thing that churches in our day struggle with too. Really, this is the sort of thing that we are beginning to see ourselves struggling with. Churches struggle with administration. This is a problem here. And so in other words, contrary to some who would like to see racism in everything in our day, you've probably seen this, everything is racist anymore. That's not happening here. That's not what the issue here. This is not about race. This is not about ethnicity. It's not really even about what languages they spoke The problem was one of gifting, of time, and administration. The apostles who were running this program simply lacked in the necessary organizational skills and time. The church had become so large, and the number of widows had increased so much, that the daily distribution had simply become disorganized. And so some were not being served as well as they could have been. The apostles, as gospel ministers, had been called by Christ to preach the gospel. They were to labor in the word of God. They were to teach and exhort. They were to encourage the people to the good news of Christ. And they were, but they were crunched for time. And so it was not humanly possible for them to do all of these things. To distribute all the food, to you know, prepare and preach the word and teach the people. So there's nothing mean-spirited or bigoted that's happening here. In fact, if, there was, if that was what was happening, we would expect that the correction would be different than this. Instead, what we see is simply an administrative oversight by overworked elders. And so what the solution is, is an administrative solution. Nevertheless, the result of the neglect was that some of the people became discontent, and so a solution was needed to the problem. And so, how was this problem solved? Well, the twelve, that is the apostles, didn't think that they should be responsible for waiting on tables. Again, what is their calling? Their calling was from Christ to preach the word. And this is right. This is, this is what they should be doing. 
But the distribution of food for the poor widows of the church was also important. They weren't saying, well, we're just not going to do this anymore because that's sort of below us. That's not what's going on here. What they're saying is this is important, but our calling is somewhere else. But this needs to be done. And so this job should not fall on the shoulders of the apostles, those who are responsible for teaching and preaching, but it should go to someone else. And so this is an issue of priorities, gifting, calling. Which is to say then that those who labor in the word may not be gifted in administration, and in many cases they're not. There are others who need to take ownership, in this case, of the mercy ministry of the church. The work of the church needs to be spread out to a multitude of people. And so the apostles sought just such a solution. Now again, notice that the apostles did consider the complaint to be legitimate. As they were complaining, they were recognizing, yes, this in fact is true. The, 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 The Hellenistic Widows aren't being cared for. And so that something needs to happen. But they do first raise the, the issue of priorities. The ministry of mercy and service then need to be delegated to others. Because the priority of those who minister the word of God needs to be teaching and preaching the word. Thus, why we have deacons and why we have ordained and installed our first deacon. Next week, we'll have our second deacon. Deacons are are vital to the ministry of the church. Now, of course, this doesn't mean that pastors and elders don't get involved in other ministries, even in mercy ministry, but it is an issue of priorities. What is the calling toward? where, Where should the time be spent? There's a story I once heard of a a call to a minister that was given uh, in a church in upstate New York. Now, part of the call included snow blowing the church driveway in the winter. Our brother from Wisconsin is laughing because he understands how that works. You know, you can get a lot of snow in upstate New York. This is written into the call. And also written into the call was that the minister must not run over the flower bulbs that the ladies had planted. I mean, this is not a, it's, it's a joke, but it's really not a joke. This is literally in a call. This church was issuing a call with the wrong priorities. Someone else should remove the snow. Let others worry about the flower bulbs. The central function of the minister is to preach and teach the word of God, to pray for and with Christ's people, to administer the sacraments. In fact, it would be inappropriate to have a pastor plan and execute every function and ministry of the church. You don't really want me to be the event coordinator. Because the pastor and your elders, this is, we're not the CEOs. We're not the event coordinators of the church. Every ministry of the church must not, should not fall under you know, my personal purview. The various ministries of the church should be delegated and shared by all under the oversight of the elders. Which then is to say that the work of the church in some measure falls on everyone in the congregation with some special functions which have been divided out to the officers. 
The ministry of the word falling primarily to the elders. The ministry of mercy of the church falling primarily to the diaconate. But there are a host of other functions which any, anyone could participate in also holding the general office of believer. And so here in Acts, the apostles saw that it would not be pleasing to the Lord for them to give up their central ministry, to, to stop preaching the gospel and to do this other thing. They understood that this was not what they should be doing, but the widows need to be cared for. And they understood that. In fact, the word of God tells them that. This is an important work which must be done. The widows must be fed. The church needs to take care of its most vulnerable people. But the elders were not to be the ones doing the ministry. The apostles were not the ones to do the ministry. Others needed to take up that work. And so again, what we have is an administrative issue which needed a practical solution. The apostles were not about to stop preaching the gospel. And so what were they to do? Look at verse 3. It says, therefore, brothers, this is the instruction from the apostles, therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. So there's other men, other spiritually mature men who have a good reputation were to be chosen from among the congregation to deal with this issue. So the labor of the church was to be divided. Now this is a very similar concept to the advice which Moses' father-in-law gave in Exodus chapter 18. When Moses was having difficulty keeping up with his duties, listen to what it says in Exodus 18. He says, Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and let them judge the people at all times. See, Jethro knew that it was not good for Moses to try and do everything himself. He would be ineffective. He would wear himself out. And this is the case in Acts as well. The apostles, perhaps, were not good administrators. There's just too many people for them to take care of and the duties of preaching the word. And so there needed to be others to take up the work. And so the church was to pick out from among themselves faithful and capable men who had a good reputation, were strong believers, and they were to be appointed to this duty. And so here's the solution. So in many respects, it's a very practical solution, isn't it? Seven spiritually wise men were to be chosen, and they were to take responsibility for the distribution program. Notice that when it comes to serving as an officer in the church, whether it be as an elder, which focuses on the spiritual needs of the church, or even as a deacon, which focuses on the physical and mercy needs of the church, the officers of the church are to be spiritually mature and biblically knowledgeable. And so the congregation was instructed to choose the men from the local church that they judged would meet these criteria to administer this distribution. But the main qualifications, notice, the main qualifications for the job, even though it's an administrative job, the main qualifications is not administrative skills. Notice that. The the main qualification is not, are they a successful business person? That's not the qualification. Rather, the qualification, the main qualification is, are they godly? That's first and foremost. 
Are they godly men? Are they spiritually wise men? This is the opposite of how many in our day would think about this, isn't it? And we think about leadership in the church, offices in the church. You know, sometimes we want to pick. Well, are you know, are they successful in the world? You know, are they? Do they have? Have they built up a great business or some something like that? that that's not the. That's not the main qualification. That that matters very little. Are they godly? Are they spiritually wise? These men would serve. They must first and foremost be godly men. They must be spiritually sensitive. They must make good judgments. must be mature in the faith. These are the kind of men who would be ideal candidates to serve in church office. These godly men were to fulfill this administrative function. They were to be empowered to solve the problem of the distribution for the widows so that the apostles could be freed up to do what God has called them to do in the ministry of the word. And so the idea was put forth by the apostles, and this pleased the whole congregation. They could see that this was a wise way to handle the situation. And so they moved forward. They chose from among them seven men. And the first one that Luke mentions in his list is Stephen. This is a man, it says, who is full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And of course, Stephen shows up again later. He proclaims boldly the gospel and he pays the ultimate price for it. The other one mentioned is Philip. Philip uh, should not be confused with the Apostle Philip, although Luke does not clearly distinguish between the two. Philip is mentioned again in chapter 8 as an evangelist. The activity of Stephen and Philip probably exemplify the character of the group as a whole, which is to say that they did more than simply administer the food distribution. I mean, they they also proclaimed the gospel as they saw need. They were involved in teaching. They were involved in evangelism also. Now, there are some others on the list. We We know very little about them. One thing we can note, though, is all of the men on this list have Greek names. Now, remember, it was the Hellenists that were complaining. So it was the Greek speakers. And all of these guys have Greek names, which we can deduce is this. Everyone in this group of seven that were chosen were all from among the Hellenist group. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? And further, of the group, all of them were born Jews except for Nicholas, who Luke mentions was a proselyte. So he's the only Gentile on the list. So all of these men come from the Greek-speaking wing of the church, the very ones who have been complaining, by the way. Now, you might wonder, why is this significant? This means that the church put in charge of the distribution program men from the very group who have been complaining about their neglected widows. And this is significant because what you normally find is that people who have power in a group tend to want to keep that power. But here, what we see is we trust you and love you that you are going to take care of our widows too. And we're going to, we, we know we're not doing it very well. We're going to give this whole program to you knowing that you will, you're going to fulfill, you're going to take care of our widows too. And we know that. There's trust here. There's mutual love here. There's, there's mutual trust for one another. There's no concern that the Aramaic speaking or the Hebrew widows would be neglected now. You know, there's no fear of like, well, now the tables are turned. They're not worried about that. They know that each is going to take care of 
the other. The whole church believed that these godly men would properly administer the program. And so they picked the seven best men to fill those roles. And so once the men were chosen by the church, they were set before the apostles. The apostles prayed over them and they laid their hands on them, just as we saw this morning. And so these these men were commissioned for the task. They were ordained and installed into the office of deacon. These men were set apart for particular service to the Lord. Now, the, the, the text here doesn't use the term, but these were the first deacons in the church. And by the way, the word deacon is, a, is really a transliteration. It simply means servant, one who serves. That's what deacons are. They're servants within the body of Christ. And so these men are set apart to be servants of, of the church. And they were to perform the task of the office of deacon. And of course, as we've already said, some clearly did more than that. Some clearly were involved beyond just that. But here's the overriding principle. The overriding principle here is this. It's the division of labor. That the, that the church had grown, that there was, there was many people needed to fulfill the needs of the church, and so they spread out the work. Well, so what was the result? As they, as they distributed the work among uh, the, a, more, a multitude of people, what was the result? Well, continued growth, actually, was the result. Look at verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So those who have been called to preach the word and, and to pray continue to do that. Now, there, of course, were other needs in the church which they were taking care of, but imagine if the apostles had simply said, well, we'll just kind of have to, you know, do the distribution program. Well, who's going to preach the word then? They were free to do that, and the result is God grew the church. God added to the number. There are many people in the church, and in the congregation, who have a variety of gifts, and so God has called each of us to a variety of ministries. Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, we have different gifts according to the grace given us. Well, I think what this means is that every Christian has at least one gift. Every single one of you here, if you're in Christ, every single one of you has at least one gift. Just one is all you need. And when the people of God are not exercising their gifts, then the church is impoverished. We're poorer when the people aren't serving and using their gifts. Wouldn't it be great if every person in the congregation was actively involved in some fashion, no matter how small, even the most minuscule of things, if you were just doing one thing, if everybody did that, wouldn't it be amazing? Wouldn't that have a great impact on the life of our body? as everyone serves in some function, serving one another. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 reminds us, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Each of us has received a gift, and we're called to use it for the benefit of our neighbor, not for our own benefit. We're to benefit the body. We're to benefit our fellow believers because God has given us such great grace. 
If God has given you and I talents and gifts, and these are gifts from God, then we should use them to his glory and to his service. And this is part of what, a, what makes for a healthy and vibrant church, that we're all doing that for one another. And think about it. If the church, if the people of the church were all actively working for Jesus in some fashion, doing ministry, some wedding tables, some able to preach, some doing various other things in the community with neighbors, you're serving, you're serving our whole community, really. And when we serve the body, we also do a better job of reaching out the gospel. We grow the church. The church is going to grow because we serve one another, because we're reaching out with the gospel. In other words, we're able to better fulfill the Great Commission when we serve one another. So the, and the apostles recognized this. This is, of course, why they suggested the election of deacons. The work of the church needs to be spread out. And this will contribute to the growth of the church. Notice, by the way, one of the ways in which the church actually grew in verse 7. You know, it tells us that the church increased, the number of disciples multiplied. And then look at the very end. It says, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. That's actually significant. A great number of the priests became obedient to the faith. To the faith. This is the same group which had served the high priest who was a Sadducee and had been persecuting the church. From among the very people who had been persecuting church, the priestly folks, they were coming to faith in Christ. This is actually incredible. Many of the priests were poor and their numbers were in the thousands. These were men who, for the most of the year, labored in some other trade, but then they traveled to Jerusalem and served for only two weeks in the temple. And the ministry of the church, through the power of the Holy Spirit, was having an impact on on this priestly class who were coming. They were coming to faith in Jesus. Now why does Luke mention this? Because in some, in some respects, you might think it seems like sort of an add-on, and also the priests. Well, I can't help but think that the, the, the word and deed ministry of the church was having dramatic impact even on the priests. They no doubt saw the work that the church was doing, taking care of the poor. They heard the message of salvation in Jesus Christ, and they were converted to Christ. The elders had been freed to minister the gospel in Wonderful results came from that. They were multiple, there were multiple men who were brought together to solve the problem of the church. And so the gifts of the entire body of Christ were used. It's true. It was true then. It's true now. There is a need, even in our church here, for more hands to be involved to lighten the labor of the body. So this is a principle. This is the principle which we can glean from this passage of Scripture. There is a need for a division of labor. There is a need for multiple people within the body to serve so that the word can be preached by those who have that task. So that those who have the task of praying and shepherding the people can do those things. And one of the visions of labor that's given by Christ is, in fact, the office of deacon. 
In order for us to accomplish the purpose of the church, the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the preaching of Christ crucified and resurrected, and the invitation of people to trust and rest in Jesus alone for their salvation, those who are called to that task must be set free from the other work of the church. Which is to say that the care of saints, the work of mercy, the physical needs of the church are important. Those things need to be cared for. Man is body and soul. But it, so if they're hungry in our congregation, they need to be fed. If they're homeless, they need to be sheltered. And of course, the list could go on and on. But those are not the only works of mercy that our congregation need help with. There are other practical functions which could set free the elders. There are other things that don't require any special office. Remember, we're all called with gifts and called to serve the body. So whether you are loading or unloading the trailer, setting up the book table, the snack table, moving chairs around, setting up the sound system, and even in any of these things, you're serving the body. Because as a result of that, we're able to be fed by the word. This is, this is why deed ministry is important. Not because it replaces the gospel, because, because that should never happen but because it enhances and supports the gospel, allows the, those who labor in that to, to be free to do that work. This is how the body works, each part helping the other parts of the body so that the church can be a place of refuge and rest to weary souls, those hungering and thirsting for righteousness found only in Christ. So you might be wondering, how can I be involved? What can I do? You might have noticed in your bulletin a brief survey. Take that home, fill it out. Think about ways that you might be able to serve the body. Bring it back um, and help us to work, help you find the right place for you to serve as the Lord might be calling you. In the end, we want to serve one another with great joy as we would serve the Lord. For our Savior loves us He loves his bride, the church. And he calls each of us to love her too in sacrificial service. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for uh, your word and for this reminder of the need to serve one another, to serve the body. I thank you, God, for many who do serve regularly. And I know there are many others who are eager to serve. And so we pray, Father, that you would lay on all of our hearts uh, and, and give us all wisdom, the, the, the ways to sort of match our needs with those who have gifts, that they may do so with great joy, and, and that the, the labor may be spread out so that all of us can enjoy the rest which is found in your word and by our Savior Jesus. We ask that you bless us, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.